Welcome to the Transform Your Teaching Podcast. The Transform Your Teaching Podcast is a service of the Center for Teaching and Learning at Cedarville University in Cedarville, Ohio. We seek to inspire higher education faculty to adopt innovative teaching and learning practices. Thanks for joining our conversation. Welcome back to Transform Your Teaching here on the campus of Cedarville University in Cedarville, Ohio. My name is Jared Piles, and with me is Dr. Rob McDowell. Hello, Dr. McDowell. Hello. We are continuing our series on the community of inquiry and effective online learning. And in this episode, we're going to talk about adapting to online learning and kind of a future outlook of what's coming up ahead. So when it comes to adapting to online teaching, um, especially if you've taught face-to-face for a really long time, it can be difficult because it's not a simple one-to-one copy-to-paste uh, face-to-face and online. If you've taught a class for 20 years, 15 years in a face-to-face environment, then going to online, it's not going to work as well in that capacity. No, it will not. That's why I, usually when I talk to folks and I counsel them on how they should develop a course, regardless of the modality, I always say, start with online first. Yep. So do it like you're wanting to do online, and you can back into face-to-face. But to go from face-to-face to online, the technology jump and what you have to think about and how you create your framework and scaffold your learning for your students, it's just too difficult, I think, to be able to do that, especially on the fly. Yeah. Which a lot of face-to-face faculty members do enjoy. They enjoy that ability to pivot and turn towards things that students need to have in their course, and that's going to be dependent on the, the different group that's in there. So with online, you, you don't have that, that uh, freedom as much. You know, you need to know where you're headed. You need to have all that stuff kind of pre-programmed in a way. Yeah, I, I like that because it's, it makes you really think about how your outcomes or your objectives are aligned with your assessments. Um, there's less wiggle room in an online environment because, you know, when you start with an online course and you desi- design it all the way out, your assumption is this is well designed and I don't need to intervene throughout the whole process. Uh, when a face-to-face, like you said, there's a little bit more room to adapt. Oh, yeah. Say, oh, man, well, I didn't. Next time when I lecture, I'll make sure and hit these points that I missed in the last time. You have to really make sure that's ironed out in the online course. Yeah, and even in the midst of, of, of lecturing or giving content in a face-to-face, yeah. you know, a student raises their hand and says, I don't really understand that. You know, a student raising their hand and saying that in an online environment, the gap between when, you, when they actually see the content and then give you the feedback and then you get back to them. Yeah. It's... It, tends to be a lot larger, yeah. you know, than what happens in the classroom. So being able to pivot is a, is a, a much more difficult thing. The design is one part of it. Uh, the next part is, we kind of hit the, this already, is the idea of teaching presence. We talked about this in the last episode, about how important it is to uh, be present as an instructor and how it's kind of the glue that holds the um, cognitive presence and the uh, student social presence in there. It kind of holds everything together. But, you know, the teaching presence is one thing and being effective with your communication as well. Because think about it, again, in a face-to-face course, you have announcement times at the beginning of your lecture mm-hmm. to say, hey, I missed this part, or uh, make sure that you guys reemphasize this section 
of the notes or I'm moving the test and blah, blah, blah. Okay, let's get into the nitty gritty of what we're talking about right. today. Whereas that, that may not be as easy because in an online environment, because in the face-to-face, you have that captive audience that they're there, they're listening. Online, a student, you, know, you may post something as an announcement or an email, but the student doesn't check that announcement or email for several days. And so you, there's going to be a difference of communication and you know, sending and receiving right. of information. Well, and it, I mean, there are ways around that. And one of the things that I think helps with that is when you're able to actually pay attention to who's listened to or who's watched a video, let's say you've posted, that's an announcement instead of just doing it via text. But you can see, you know, who's watched it. And then you might have something where you pay attention to that for like the first couple of days of the week. And if you have folks that haven't, then, you know, you may be reaching out to them and saying, hey, just notice that you haven't seen the announcements. I want to make sure that you're aware of these things. Yeah. So you're able to really uh, navigate and fine tune your messaging and to whom you're messaging uh, with, with online learning. So the good news is you can also do that in your face-to-face class if you use Canvas in the same way. So you can get kind of best of both worlds there. In addition to that communication, I think feedback on assignments is more crucial. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think needs to be taken more advantage of in an online course than a face-to-face. And it could be, you know, leaving more detailed feedback on assignments, or it could be different modalities of it. Like I love doing video feedback with my students mm-hmm. in uh, composition when I teach it because it allows them to see my process as I'm making notes on their drafts and such. And um, I get, ever since I started doing that, I stopped getting those emails from students that say, well, what did you mean when you circled this word? Or oh, yeah. what does this underline mean? Because they, they've put a face and a voice to the feedback. Because it also helps them to see me, who I am, and my mannerisms. Sometimes I joke around, and unless their paper's really bad, then I'm very serious. <laughs> and I'm like, whoa. Sometimes I'll cut the video short and redo it because I'm like, I was way too harsh when I did that. But it allows uh, me as an instructor to be more communicative with them. And they have an enriched experience Mm. because they see my feedback and they realize that I'm human. And especially when I'm late, I can apologize and say, you know, been a rough week, but here's your feedback. So online learning, online teaching, um, it's going to be different as far as the use of technology as well. Yes. Um, you may find that you'll have to rely on technology more than you would in your face-to-face because your message is not being delivered in the same way as it did in a face-to-face course. So that could require you to pull in some edtech tools that you may want to use that allow you to share your screen um, or utilize um, some slide, slide deck sharing technology like Google Slides or Microsoft PowerPoint On our campus, we have a tool called Kaltura that allows us to do uh, videos and screen shares and record as well. But there's other ones. There's Camtasia. There's Screencastify. And those are all viable options for helping you share the information. Right. Um, And sorry, this is kind of my one of my favorite things to talk about. So I'm going to dominate this section of the podcast. (laughs) Um, One of my other favorite ones is Flip. Mm -hmm. Flip is a video discussion tool that allows you to have an asynchronous discussion with your students and add video to it, which is such an incredible element to discussion. It's not just text. Um, You can see the emotions that sometimes that just text-based discussions just leave out. You never really know what the other person is thinking or their attitude as they're 
embracing or as they are using a text-based discussion. But if you're bringing in video into it and using Flip, it allows you to see the expressions, see the emotion in someone's face as they are writing. And it's, I love it. I, yeah. I, would, I would use Flip anywhere that I could. Well, it, it does cover all three of those areas, right? It covers teaching presence, cognitive presence, and social presence. Yeah. I, and it's right there in the middle of where those circles overlap in the Venn diagram. And I think it's a great tool. Yeah. We have some other tools. I think um, uh, Dr. Alicia McCartney, when she was on, she talked about hypothesis, which is an annotation tool. Right. Helps her build a community outside of um, the classroom and then through text. Um, but, you know, these are all fancy tools, but you don't really need them per se. You can still rely on your LMS and your Google suite or your Microsoft suite and accomplish almost the same thing oh, yeah. through those tools as well. There's well, just some really cool tools you could try out. And face-to-face also has technology. Let's not... Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, let's oh, yeah. Let's be clear. Even pencil and paper is a technology. Yes, it is. It's just not an innovative technology anymore. Right. It was when it was invented. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, <laughs> like most technologies are. And then, you know, the printing press made it even more so. What's that? Uh, you're going to have to look up Gutenberg. Anyway, okay, I'll try. You know, as we talk about this, we know... I think that moves us, since we're talking about technology, that moves us into what's coming next. Yeah. You know, we've talked about how we can develop for the future with online learning. Now, what's next with online learning? And, I mean, obviously we've already done a good bit with ChatGPT4, but more is coming. I just renewed my my account to ChatGPT Plus, you know, just to see what was going on because I got rid of it several months ago. Because we've got our own thing that we've been using with ChatGPT4 here in the office. But I wanted to know, where is OpenAI headed? And the best way to figure that out is to actually use the tools and see what they're doing. And they're making program creation, you know, analysis of pictures. What? Analysis of pictures. And I know for a lot of people, they'll be like, what, what, who cares? <laughs> right? Who cares if it analyzes pictures. But I think if you give yourself some time and you start thinking about the possibilities of where you can go with that, mm-hmm. you know, not just in the humanities, but in other places. Like one thing I had it do was I said, go find, I gave it a, a URL of a coffee cup. Mm-hmm. And then I told it uh, to uh, write a program that will create an, a likeness of this coffee cup with SVG graphics, and for those of you who don't know, that that's basically a, a format that allows you to layer graphics hmm. and scale them and make them bigger and or smaller, uh, and it's a computational form of creating graphics. And I told it to do it in a pop art style. So not only did it go and create the program with Python, it applied pop art characteristics to it and i was i mean it was it looked more like abstract art okay but it created it and made it downloadable to me wow right Mm -hmm. and so i could take that into an adobe photoshop or adobe illustrator and i could i could mess with it that's just one thing goodness but you could create so many other things with it you know Mm -hmm. if you're doing research and you've got pictures that are from a particular era, you could have it do analysis on those pictures. And then you could analyze 
pictures, which is a very, very hard thing to do. I know it sounds simple, but it isn't. It's a very, very hard thing to do and go through and look at how many pictures you would necessarily need to research on a particular topic, say the Civil War, right? Just think about how many pictures you have on your phone. How many times do you go through and look at the pictures on your phone? Not that often. No, not that often. No. I think people look more on Instagram and Facebook at pictures than they do on their phone. Do they look at their own pictures on Facebook and Instagram? Well, some of them do, yeah. Yeah. Oh, look at that. That's a great picture of me. Anyway, (laughs) I mean, that's where we're headed and you start thinking, well, how do we bring this in the today? I can see us with setting the stage in terms of the teacher needs to know what in the world they're talking about. They've got to become proficient with these tools. Yeah. They've got to explore themselves so they know how to help these students. So not only their discipline, do they need to be really good at their discipline, but they also need to be really good in using these tools and figuring out how they can leverage them, but also to provide warnings. And we've said that over and over again with ChatGPT. You know, don't buy it hook, line, and sinker, but don't ignore it either. So to me, the future is definitely headed in an AI style. What do you see coming? Well, as you're aware, we are creating online courses uh, here on our campus. And I think one of the, um, not only all the things we've talked about and and the adapting of it, but um, I think we also need to embrace some of the elements and, and pivot a bit and be, and bring up concerns that we have, but find ways of solving those problems before we get to them. I think one of the things that uh, are is concerning professors is that uh, students may be more apt to cheat in an online course yeah. versus a face-to-face course because you know they're they're in isolation. There's no real sense of accountability there. There's a distance there, so maybe students will feel more apt to cheat. Yeah, and you know there's ways of getting around that if you create higher-level activities and projects like the COI talked about, you know, where they're, you know, analyzing and they're evaluating or creating, those are more difficult to cheat on, but, you know, it's not everything is going to be an analysis level assignment. There's going to be things that are best assessed with multiple choice and true false. Oh yeah. And short answer. And that's going to be easier to cheat on, but studies have shown, and I'll put a study in the show notes because we've had faculty that are concerned about Um, this element, exactly the cheating stuff, uh, this aspect of online teaching is that it shows that if a student is going to cheat in a face-to-face environment, they're also going to cheat in an online environment. Correct. If a student is not going to cheat in a face-to-face environment, they are also not going to cheat in an online environment. Basically, online learning doesn't create more cheaters. It's the same regardless of what modality, what medium you put the content in. So... What you're saying is cheaters gonna cheat. Yes, <laughs> cheaters gonna cheat. cheat. So, yeah, I, I think um, that's that to me is the biggest one. Just being willing to embrace it and adapt as these things come, because it just like we've had to adapt with ChatGPT over the last three six months. Um, we have to be ready to adapt whatever change is coming with online learning as well. We can't sit stagnant. And right. wait, we have to be ready. So one old school way of doing this and, and dealing with cheating and, and preparing oneself for these these eventualities would be an old school uh, strategy from the correspondence school days. And that's 
have um, proctors. You have students, you know, find proctors for these exams and quizzes, and mm. you, you, you know, have them go chase them down, send send their credentials, send a picture of who they are. Um, so I, when I wasn't responsible for a correspondence school back in the day, um, that was one of the processes that we had. If you wanted to take a test or an exam or a quiz, then you had to have a proctor and we had to have a signed form from them and we had to have a picture and all those kinds of things. Yeah. And I think that's still valid today. And it's probably a little bit easier, especially say you use something like flip, right? And you have an interaction with them via flip and you say, do you agree to these things? And if they say yes, and that they'll be there and that they'll pay attention and they'll make sure that the student is not cheating, then I think that's better than nothing for sure. Mm -hmm. And I think it's also better than using some of these anti-cheating software packages that can just create more barriers to students than, than we really want as an an anxiety, right? You already have anxiety when you're taking a quiz or a test. Then you have your webcam on and someone's staring at you. And you don't know who it is. Is it the computer or is it somebody else? And who's holding that information? Who's holding that video after that? When my wife did her, her degree from WGU, that -hmm. was one of the things that she had to have. They had a 360 degree camera that she had to set up in the room. And before she took the exam, she got on with someone and they controlled her computer and they would look around the room and have her pick up the camera and show all the different places. And if there was something there that they didn't like, they would have her remove it. And they would also go into her machine and they would shut off all the notifications. They would they would do all these things and they basically sit there and record her screen. And um, I mean, I get it. Yeah. And it works. Mm-hmm. And Jenny didn't have anything to hide, but but there is this kind of like just weird factor where big, you've got a, big a, brother watching you. I was going to say it's a 1984 big brother scenario. And, and it does feel a little odd. Of course, I, I say all that and that concerns me, but I have Google Home in my house and I have all these different devices that are probably listening to me 24-7. Yeah. But, you know, I guess I can't, I can't be too concerned about it, but whatever. Yeah, especially when you get on your Google and you start searching and it says, Red's paraphernalia, you want to sell me... <laughs> Joey, Joey Votto, De, Joey Votto, Joey Votto's future. Do you want to look for that? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Yeah. So that, I think, think we've done a pretty good job there. Yeah, I, I think uh, COI can be used in online courses. I think it's, um, I think it's something that can be applied as far as helping us adapt to future online learning. Um, I think that it can help navigate the change as well. That is going to come about with all the different changes that are happening if you stick with those, that framework as a way of analyzing all your content and how your course is put together. I think that's something that you can use to be ready for online learning and embracing the change that happens as you head down that path. As we continue to have these conversations about the, the community of inquiry framework, I wanted to stop and pause, if I may. Okay. Uh, one of the things that just came to me over the past couple of weeks as we were having these conversations was to make a statement about the philosophical backgrounds or the philosophical framework of community of inquiry. I'm very aware that community of inquiry is a constructivist, comes from a constructivist mindset. For those of you who don't know what that is, feel free to Google constructivism and it's where students and the teacher come together and they all make meaning out of out of the topic that they're 
they're looking at. I'm simplifying greatly with that comment, I understand. But uh, in a nutshell, it's where you make the meaning. You're not necessarily um, looking at the objective meaning, which would obviously cause a problem for many of our listeners who come from you know, a presuppositional background and a biblical worldview background. Because we start with the Word of God in mind, right? Yes. So mm-hmm. we believe in objective truth. And our teaching is framed in that and, and framed towards it. So I wanted to make sure that our listeners understood that we also understand that, and that just like anything, this is in God's general revelation that we can, you know, confirm or affirm reject uh, and redeem these things in this theory, and we just happen to find that much of it uh, is very, very helpful and makes complete sense when it comes to teaching and learning. Well, that's going to do it for us on this episode of Transform Your Teaching. Be sure to email us at ctlpodcast at cedarville.edu with any questions or show ideas that you have. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review to our podcast and your favorite podcast platform, Be sure to check out our focus blog. It's at cedarville.edu forward slash focus blog. And as always, thank you for listening.